The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Well, church, let's uh, open our Bibles together, uh, shall we, to Matthew, as we are in the final of three chapters of the Lord Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthews 5, 6, and 7. We're in Matthew 7. Uh, you'll see in your bulletin that we are just looking at one verse this morning, just one verse in Matthew 7, verse 12. Uh, somebody uh, said to me, you know, you had two weeks to work on the sermon, so it's going to be really good, right? And it's only on one verse, so surely it's got to be great. Well, uh, we'll leave that up to uh, the Lord's help, but we are in just one verse. And you'll see why we're focusing on just one verse this morning. Uh, but as we have been in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, actually, uh, all the way since last fall, since last fall, uh, with a couple of breaks here and there, of course, we have been looking at what Jesus intends for those who claim to be citizens of his kingdom. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 includes the first of five teaching blocks in Matthew's gospel where Jesus spends extended time to declare what true citizenship in his kingdom looks like, what true citizens of his kingdom, who they are, what they look like, what they live like, what the relationships they have look like, the various things that mark the lives of the true Christian believer. And he's been, he's been expounding all of that over these three chapters. But we come this morning to Matthew 7, just at verse 12, to a very famous teaching of the Lord Jesus. And as we'll see together, that's called the Golden Rule. Now, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that of all the things that Jesus says, there are definitely some things that rise to the top of, of familiarity, even to uh, a secular world. A, a, a general awareness that, oh yeah, Jesus said that. And this statement in Matthew 7, verse 12, is definitely one of, if not the very top of the list of statements that people would say, oh yeah, I've heard that. Jesus said that. And in general recognition, uh, people like to assume they understand what Jesus meant when he said what he said. But one of the things I hope that we'll see together is that when Jesus speaks to us in Matthew 7, verse 12, it can't be plucked out from everything else he's already said. It has to be understood in the context of what he has said and will say throughout his whole earthly ministry because what Jesus says here to us in this so-called golden rule is not just some general ethical principle for all people, all time, all places, but rather a unique disposition of the life of the true Christian believer. The golden rule. So, we want to see what it is Jesus says and what he means and and how it applies to us. So as we prepare to do that, let's pray and ask God's blessing upon His Word. Well, Lord God, we, we pause now recognizing that throughout our lives, uh, we hear so many opinions. We hear uh, professional commentators on one subject and the next. And Lord, it wearies us and we grow tired of the opinions of mere people. 
Lord, we are ready to hear what you, the living God, would say to us. Something which is true and eternal. Something which can sustain us in the midst of all of our weariness. And so, Lord, we come to you today empty, longing to be filled with your truth. And so, Father, as your Spirit so moved Matthew to record this word for us, we pray that that same Spirit might rest upon our minds to give illumination and understanding. It might rest upon our hearts that you might prepare in us good soil to receive the seed of the Word this morning, that we might grow and bear fruit to the glory of your name. And so, Lord, come now. Speak to us in the power of your Word, for we are ready to hear. And so to be transformed by you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And now hear the Word of God in Matthew 7 at verse 12. This is the Word of God. So... Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Just this one verse this morning. Now, I don't want you to assume one verse I could even memorize that in a couple of seconds here so I could put my Bible away because we're actually going to do a little bit of tracing through the Scriptures this morning, so you want to be prepared to do that with me as we flip around to a few places. But we want to, again, recognize the fact that uh, this teaching of Jesus, this so-called golden rule, is, is known far and wide across all religious spectrums. Now, let me, let me get two things out of the way at first. Uh, because there are two errors that we could uh, potentially be lost into if we're not careful. And the first error that people assume when they approach Jesus' golden rule is they say, you know what? Did you know that this teaching is prominent in just about every world religion? And if this teaching is prominent in every world religion, well, doesn't that prove that all religions are the same at the end of the day. The golden rule is famous for being used as a springboard to suggest that all religions at their base have the same ethical basis and so therefore are fundamentally the same. The second error, and we're going to pursue this in just a moment, is that it's possible for us to pluck out Matthew 7, verse 12, toss the rest of the Bible out the window, and say... Christianity means do unto others. Christianity is just do unto others. Matthew 7, verse 12, toss the rest. This is Christianity. So those are the two ditches that I want us to think about before we get into the the meat of what Jesus is saying here. So first of all, this idea that because this ethical principle is found in the basic teachings of most world religions, it means that all world religions are the same. I don't know if you've heard that before, but if you haven't, just follow for just a moment here. For example, the Eastern philosopher Confucius said it this way, Do nothing to your neighbor which afterward you would not have your neighbor do to you. And Confucius is reported to have taught this 500 years before Jesus. Does that mean that alarm bells should start ringing and we say Christianity has been undermined by Confucius and we don't know what to do and we go into a panic? Not at all. 
Not at all, because long before Confucius ever said this, this principle has been present in Judaism long before Confucius. But you also, did you notice that when Confucius said it, he said it in the negative, do nothing to your neighbor, which after you would not have your neighbor do to you. Most of the time when this ethic is presented in other religions, it's presented in a negative disposition, meaning don't do Jesus is unique in that across world religions, he's the only one that puts it in the positive. Do. Now that's an interesting distinction that I want to establish from the very beginning. Now, of course we can acknowledge that other faiths and religious traditions might have some version of this ethical principle, but just because they have some version of the same ethical principle does not mean that all religions are the exact same. For example, other religions understand that murder is wrong because it, it ruins the dignity of human life, but only Christianity teaches that the inherent dignity of human life is that we are made in the image of God. Just because there is a basic ethical principle that is shared among different religious traditions does not mean that all of those religious traditions are the same. Just like the two teams playing in the World Series, shows you how much I'm paying attention. I don't even know who they are. I think it's the Dodgers and the Tampa Bay Rays, maybe. They're both playing the same sport. But that doesn't make them a part of the same team. They have similarities and dissimilarities. So I'm just trying to establish that just because there is a shared ethical principle doesn't negate distinctions. But secondly, let's chase this one. This idea that this teaching of Jesus can stand on its own. The idea that Matthew 7 verse 12 can be downsized to some kind of moral fortune cookie for all the world to live by even a secular world, if you ask most people, what is the golden rule? I would maybe even encourage you to pursue this little social experiment on your own. Ask somebody, have you heard of the golden rule? Do you know what it is? It's likely going to be the case that the golden rule will be cited to you as, the, it's an older version, do unto others, right? The golden rule is do unto others. But, I want us to see that that is not all that Jesus says in verse 12. Because the golden rule of just do unto others misses two very other important parts of the text. If the golden rule is just do unto others, you have to ask the question, where's God? Where is God in a golden rule that doesn't say everything Jesus says? said, where is God in the golden rule? You see, the golden rule is not just some universal ethical principle for all people, all space, all time. No, Jesus is uniquely speaking to his disciples as they listen to him articulate life in the kingdom of God. And so everything that Jesus says in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is with reference to that spiritual kingdom. Here's what Jesus actually said. Look at it again. Verse 12. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And when you're looking closely again at verse 12, we're quick to cling on to the part about doing to others as we want them to do to us, but we, we miss the so and the for this is the law and the prophets. And that's where God exists in this golden rule. He is at the front end and at the back end. And you say, well, wh where is that? 
How does that work? What we're trying to do here is establish the fact that you can't just pluck out the golden rule and say it's a basic secular principle. No, no, no. It is a spiritual principle that God has instituted. First of all, just consider the word so. You say, well, we're getting technical. One verse, one word, and one verse. So. Why does it begin with so? The word so indicates the fact that Jesus is making a conclusion. He's making a conclusion based off of what? There are two ideas here. One idea says that when Jesus says so, he intends to have this teaching be a conclusion of everything he said so far in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 thus far. Meaning that this golden rule is the apex conclusion of ethical principles for all the Sermon on the Mount. If you've understood everything I'm saying to you, Jesus has said, about who you are and what you are to do and who your character is to be like and the relationships you're supposed to have, then here's the point of conclusion. Do unto others. There are others who say uh, it's a little more narrow than that. Some people suggest that it's actually just the conclusion of Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. If you look back at that, Matthew 7, 7 to 11 is the text about ask, seek, Knock, and God will graciously give to you. And the suggestion there is that Jesus is telling us that our God is a loving Father who gives to those who ask. So, because God is generous, we should be generous to others as well. Now, I don't think you should stake your camp too much on either one of those. Is it one or the other? It could be both. It really doesn't matter so much because the point is... Jesus is here in Matthew 7, verse 12, teaching this golden rule as the overflow and application of the Christian life. It's not possible to understand the golden rule apart from kingdom life and discipleship with Jesus. That's why you can't just pluck this out and assume that it works in a secular world. It doesn't. Because Jesus has been teaching about the transformed life of living as a citizen in his kingdom. That's what the so means. What about this last part? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Jesus' full statement about this is the law and the prophets is essentially Jesus' way of saying... Obey this rule, obey this ethical principle, because this is what God has been teaching from the beginning. When Jesus uses the word, the law and the prophets, it's a way of saying the whole Old Testament. Because the divisions of the Old Testament would be the law, the writings, and the prophets. And when Jesus says the law and the prophets, he is referencing the book-ended terms of all of the Old Testament to say, do unto others, for this is the Old Testament. For this is what God has been saying consistently from the beginning. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm just reaffirming it to you. You already know this. God has been saying it from the beginning. How do we know that? This is not new, in other words, what I'm saying. Jesus is saying this is old. For example, Leviticus 19, verse 18. Leviticus 19, verse 18 says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. This principle of neighbor love 
is the principle that Jesus is building on in the application of living as a kingdom citizen and doing unto others, applying neighbor love. Now, let's look at a few places in the New Testament to see how we can understand that this is what Jesus is doing. This idea of doing unto others is not some uh, new thing. It is an old reality. Keep your finger there in Matthew 7, but flip ahead to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, and when we're going there, we're going to see that Jesus has referenced this idea of the great commandment. At the greatest commandment. In Matthew 22, specifically look at verse 39. There's a section of verse 34 through 40 under the heading, The Great Commandment, when the Pharisees are coming to Jesus saying, Well, what's the most important commandment? And, and they think that by asking him that, they're trapping him. But Jesus answers, of course, that the greatest commandment is to love God. And the second greatest commandment is what? It's in verse 39. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love neighbor as yourself. Now, now that sounds familiar and we recognize it, but Jesus is here affirming this uniquely biblical idea of neighbor love, selfless love. And of course, the New Testament has even more to say about this. Flip ahead to the book of Galatians. Turn right to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to go in two more places this morning, but first it's Galatians chapter 5. Go past 2 Corinthians and get to Galatians. If you go to Ephesians, you've gone too far. Galatians chapter 5. Specifically, Galatians 5 at verse 14. It's on page 975 if you've got a pew Bible. Galatians 5 at verse 14. We find here Paul speaking about this issue again of neighbor love. <coughs> and he says, Galatians 5 verse 14. Galatians 5.14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Quoting Leviticus 19.18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And notice how he uses this terminology of the whole law, which is the same thing that Jesus says when he says the law and the prophets. All of the Old Testament is summed up in this, the love of neighbor as yourself. The laws of neighbor love are fulfilled in this great commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. One more place. Turn left now to Romans 13. Go past 2 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians and get to Romans 13. Romans 13, uh, verses 8 through 10. It's on page 948. Here the Apostle Paul is again addressing something very similar where he is explaining, look, this is what the Old Testament is teaching fundamentally as an ethic for life. And the big point that the Apostle Paul is underscoring and Jesus is affirming is that when you move from Old to New Testament, God doesn't somehow change his mind about the kind of life he is requiring from his people. No, not at all. God's law has always been consistent about what it's looking for from his people. And we find Paul in Romans 13, verses 8 and 9, addressing the same topic. In the second half of Romans 13, verse 8, uh, Paul says in verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Loving one another fulfills the law. And then again in verse 9, he continues on to say, 
for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, or any other commandment are summed up, summarized in this one, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Again, quoting Leviticus 19, verse 18. Paul is saying, this is what it means to live in obligation to God's law, to love our neighbor. And so as you're going back now to Matthew, going back now to Matthew chapter 7, here's what Jesus is saying when he says, so do unto others for this is the law and the prophets. He is saying this, this golden rule that I am here teaching you is the active accomplishment of the second greatest commandment to love your neighbor. How do I go about loving my neighbor? Jesus says, by doing to them as I want them to do to me. It's very quite simple, actually. God requires of us that we love him and we love our neighbor. What does that look like? The first four commandments deal with the love of God. Commandments, then five through ten, deal with loving neighbor. And what does it look like to love neighbor? To love them in a way that we want to be loved. So then, the whole thrust of everything that God teaches throughout all of the Scriptures is summarized in this golden rule of doing unto others as we want them to do to us. This is therefore the summary and application of all biblical ethics. The golden rule carries with it the whole Old Testament. It carries with it the Ten Commandments. It carries with it the law of God. The golden rule is what God has always said is the way for His people. And that means then that to just say the golden rule is to assume all of that truth. And you can't just pluck it out of thin air and say, oh, it means this for me subjectively for my life irrespective of the Old Testament and all the rest. No, it goes back all the way to the law of God. So, so what? Right? What, I mean, what now? What does Jesus intend for us to do with that? Because just in 1 verse 12, it doesn't seem like he's making all those connections, but he definitely is. So, here's what Jesus wants from you and I out of this golden rule. And it's fundamentally this. The golden rule redirects our inherent self-interest. The golden rule redirects our inherent self-interest. Jesus knows that you and I are naturally inclined to look out for me. By nature, I am inclined to look out for numero uno, right, is the mentality that people have about themselves. I want to make sure I get mine and protect me and mine and that's my way of life. By nature, Jesus knows that we are like this. We're naturally self-centered. We're naturally self-absorbed. And so his word to his disciples is, if you want to live differently, if you want to have citizenship in my heavenly kingdom, it looks like turning those natural preoccupations of self and directing them away from yourself. On the one hand, it's incredibly simple. On the other hand, it's revolutionary, isn't it? Take everything you are by nature that is inclined to self and turn it away from you. 
Rather than simply looking out for yourself, we are to thoughtfully consider the treatment of other people. The Lord Jesus knows that we spend time thinking about what we wish other people would do for us. I wish other people would do this for me or that for me or such and such. We even stew about it, right? We get mad about the fact that people don't do X, Y, and Z for us. We are consumed by thinking about this. We spend time about it. And we spend all of this thought and worry about it. But the Lord Jesus says, instead of that, why don't you take all of that energy that you spend on self-preoccupation and redirect it toward the care of others? Instead of taking all the time that you would spend stewing about what you want others to do towards you, instead consider how it informs the way you should treat other people. What about those who have hurt me? Yeah, them too. What about those who who mistreat me? What about those who mistreat me consistently? Those people as well. Because Jesus says, so whatever you... And the you in the Greek text is what we call emphatic. It's like Jesus is pointing a finger. You. Meaning, other people might not live this way. Right? Other people might not be concerned with doing unto others. Other people might be motivated by the worldview of numero uno and looking out for me. But Jesus says, you be different. You be transformed as you live in my kingdom. You have a disposition that is contrary to nature, but rather is instead informed by grace that looks out for other people. Meaning, I will extend forgiveness to the person who has not forgiven me. I'll forgive them. People say, sure, I'm willing to forgive, but only if they forgive me first. Or only if they come to me and apologize first. Jesus says, that's not what I said. You forgive. You do unto others without reference to other people and without reference to what they do or don't do. You are responsible for you. Jesus emphatically says, you. Jesus knows that our self-love is such a powerful force in our lives. It's sometimes so powerful that it keeps us from caring about other people. We think our problems are bigger than other people's problems. We think that our mistreatments are more harsh than other people's mistreatments. And we think that our needs are the most pressing needs in all the world. And here Jesus says, turn it all around. He really intends that we pursue this in terms of radical obedience of what we wish other people would do to us, we pursue doing it to them even if they don't do it to us. So, the simple question is not so simple, isn't it? Does this challenge you? Does this challenge us as the people of God to ask the question, am I I doing that? Am I by character so transformed by grace that my disposition ceases to be looking out for self and has been transformed to be by first instinct to care for others? And you say, well, I mean, I've been trying, but maybe not so well all the time and all the rest. So where does this leave us then? It humbles us to realize that we cannot perfectly keep this law, can we? Do you perfectly do unto others? Of course you don't. And neither do I. It causes us to recognize that we need God's grace to keep this law. That's what the law of God is for. 
It drives us to a moral teaching that says, here is God's standard and I see that I don't measure up. Which means I need God's grace to pursue it. So, I've got good news for you then. For when we don't measure up to the golden rule, we we fail to obey the golden rule perfectly all the time, here's the best news of all. Your salvation is not based on keeping the golden rule. Your salvation is not based on keeping the golden rule because, hear this very carefully, the golden rule is not the gospel. The golden rule is not the gospel. Even as much as people might want to try to say that it is, I've heard time after time people want to distill Christianity down and say Christianity is the golden rule. I don't know if you've heard this before. People who say, I'm a Christian. Why am I a Christian? Because I try to treat other people the way I want to be treated. And they distill Christianity down to just the golden rule. Is that what Christianity is all about? Is it just about that? Of course not. The golden rule is not a substitute for the whole gospel because the Lord Jesus has lived and died and risen to purchase our lives from self-preoccupation and self-interest and self-love to transform us by His grace so that we might become those who are oriented towards fulfilling neighbor love in doing unto others. To reorient our passions away from ourselves toward God and toward our neighbors. That means that keeping the golden rule is not the way to get into heaven. But those who by grace alone, through faith alone, have received and rested upon Christ alone as He is offered in the gospel, have the course of their life directed toward heaven, and along the way they learn to live in the ways of Jesus, which involves doing to others what we wish for them to do to us. You know, this came to mind uh, as I thought about this. I think it was, what, a year or two ago, a couple years ago, when Billy Graham passed away, and one of his daughters spoke up at his funeral. I don't know if I've mentioned this before. It was one of the most moving testimonies because Billy Graham's daughter, and we think, oh, Billy Graham, surely all of his children were in line all of the time, right? No, his youngest daughter was quite wayward. And oftentimes she would go away and, and not come back for long seasons, oftentimes to great disappointment and heartache, to Billy Graham. Uh, But she tells the testimony one time of coming back after a wayward season, coming back, driving up the driveway, and having her father meet her out in the the front uh, road and say, listen, this, this is how we act. This is how we act in this family. This is who we are in this family. We are followers of Jesus. But this is not the basis of you being in this family. You're my daughter. Nothing will ever change the fact that you are my daughter. You're mine. And I think the application in that is this. To live as a citizen of the kingdom of God in and through Jesus Christ 
does not mean that our spiritual performance is the basis for whether or not we exist in that kingdom. No. You exist in that kingdom by grace. You are a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You are His son. You are His daughter by grace through adoption. And keeping the golden rule doesn't put you in or out of the kingdom. God's grace in Jesus Christ brings you into that kingdom. And then He says to you, listen, my child, this is how we live in this family. And when you stray, I'm going to remind you, this is how we live in this family. I love you and nothing will ever change that, but this is how we live in this family. You see, grace and law go together. They're not enemies. They're friends. When you say to your children, yes, you've strayed. I may be disappointed in you, but it doesn't change the fact that I love you. But this is how we live in this family. Grace and law go together. The distinguishing ethic of the Christian life is here presented to us, and by it we show that our highest allegiance is to the Lord Jesus and therefore display that we are citizens of His spiritual kingdom living in this fallen world that needs a testimony of selfless love and grace. Jesus wants you and I to show it to the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your truth and we thank you for how it helps us to learn of you and learn of your kindness and your mercy and your grace. We pray, Father, that for as much, as much as we might desire, Lord, our character still needs so much transformation. So, Lord, in your patience, continue to bear with us and in your kindness, make us to be the children that you long to see. And, Lord, when we stumble and fall, Pick us up by your grace, call us your own, and set us on the path again that we might honor you as you so are worthy to be honored. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.